0: good to have you here, Sarah.
1: Thanks for having me. <laughs> you leave
0: soon, Australia, to go to the States, don't you?
1: Yes, on Wednesday. Oh, that's so soon. Yeah, so it's good to, very soon. So
0: it's good to actually have you here. Yeah,
1: I'm so glad we squeezed it Spit in. Spit some truth yeah today. <laughs> yeah.
0: So look, for people who don't know you, yep. um, where are you from?
1: I'm from Canton, Michigan. So it's like, if anyone doesn't know where Michigan is, it's near Chicago, Illinois. was oh, a, a I mean, uh, a lot of people have heard of Chicago, so that's usually what I reference. A lot of people have heard of Detroit. I'm um, right in between Ann Arbor and Detroit because Canton's a big town um, in the sense that we had, you know, um, six thousand people that went to our high school, and um, it's six high in population. I still <laughs> can't get over that number. I know it's crazy, mm. um, and it's high in population. But, I mean, it's still just like a small suburb town um, Mm. in the sense of the community and, and the way it runs. So I usually describe it either... I'm right in between Ann Arbor and Detroit. Or if people don't know anything about Michigan, I just say I'm near Chicago.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, well, yeah. we do know Michigan through Michael Moore as well. Oh, perfect! Or yeah, I'm from
1: Flint. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <Great>. <laughs> the place with the dirty water. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're not you're, yeah. nowhere near. Yeah. you're Flint not near. Yeah. Flint water at all.
1: crisis. Actually, I'm about two two ish hours okay. away. Yeah, two two and a half. Yeah. And from do you know Flint. the
0: population of Michigan? I can look it up.
1: Yes, please
0: look it up. Yeah, because yeah.
1: It, I, I think when I looked it up, I mean, it's, I know it's bigger than Western Australia, like population, okay. even though it's rel- extremely um, small in size compared to Western Australia. I know we have more population than that. So about two
0: and a half million. Yeah, wow. around
1: about, maybe about, yeah.
0: And where you live, is it quite multicultural or yeah, predominantly uh, one...
1: Um, no, it's pretty diverse. I think, uh, once again, like going to that Plymouth can educational park, uh, with 6,000 students and it didn't just include Canton. It included, you know, out, a little bit outside um, sure. the city like Salem, Plymouth, yada, 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 um, different areas all brought into that one. It did give us a more multicultural aspect, um,
0: there. Yeah. Um, what was it like growing up there?
1: Um, I mean i loved it um it was extremely social there was lots of activities always going on um grew up playing soccer um and yeah it was was extremely active i mean it's it is very like (laughs) um white picket fence like um yeah it is i mean we have we have noticed this versus um Michigan and in, in Australia or even like just the US, Australia, like our houses are like built more upwards, like taller, like two story, three stories. Um versus like more like here you guys have more like the ranch longer um sure. like complexes. The ranch. The ranch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, I yeah. love ranch dressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But yeah, um yeah, I mean and then I mean it was very um the community was very close. I mean, you knew your neighbors, and would have like neighbor parties, and we'd all play in the streets, and um, yeah, play like street hockey and ride your bikes around. And
0: it's a little um, different here.
1: Yeah, a mm. little bit. I did notice that a little bit. Um, with you know, there's a lot of pros and cons between and different just differences between the the U.S. and Michigan, where I grew up in, and, and Perth, where. One of the things I noticed, we have a lot of um, community pools, like the neighborhood would all go in and um, spend a little bit more, um, you know, whatever they agreed upon money on getting a neighborhood pool that would be kept up by the neighborhood and everyone would be able to come and enjoy that or like a little facility. Sure. and here, especially because it's so hot most of the year. Oh, you,
0: you're talking literally a pool, not like a money pool that everyone no, chips like in a, like for a emergencies. Oh, okay, like a swimming pool. Like a swimming
1: pool or even like they would all fund and come together to get like playgrounds um, within sure. their community, which I was surprised here because there is there's a lot of pools, but are community pools in the sense of like at the YMCA or Mm. those type of things. But there's no neighborhood pools, which I felt like that brought the neighborhood. Sure. You know, closer together.
0: It is a little different.
1: Yeah, a little different. I'm
0: sure there's places in Australia. It depends like more in, you know, outside the city. Yeah. Maybe in the country towns. Definitely. Uh, Well, you'd expect. I wouldn't know. I'm just assuming. Mm. But yeah, well, well, we see that in movies actually. What? Like the, the neighbors all know each other and, yeah, it is. Uh, from the American movies. We, yeah. we sort of assume it would be that way, mm. which is quite nice too. Yeah. But I, mm. I mean, there's
1: pros and cons of both. I think you guys have close tight-knit groups where like, I mean, families are extremely close here and you, the friends that people do have, they spend a lot of their time with those friends. I mean, mm. and this is just based off of my own personal experiences, but um, in the community that I was in, it was like more like... You were, you had really close friends, but you also like had groups that you would hang out with, with bigger social groups, I guess, or bigger events or community parties or neighborhood parties and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just different. Yeah.
0: (laughs) How far is Chicago from where you grew up?
1: It's about four hours. So.
0: Oh, so it's quite a, quite a way.
1: Yeah. Um, so two hours was my college in Kalamazoo, uh, Western Michigan. And then two more hours from there was Chicago. But see, that's another comparison we can make. Four hours to me, like in Michigan, I had a cottage that was four hours. We would do that weekend trip all the time. Driving four hours to us was just like, okay, like it's no big deal. But for here, I feel like the longer drives, like for instance, Margaret River, like people plan way ahead to go to Margaret River. Where like Margaret River in the distance would be about going to my cottage. So I would just. The
0: difference, I think, is that you've yeah. got so much more to see on the way.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's true. We have okay. so much yeah.
0: vastness in between. Like you could be driving for an hour, and not see anything yeah. but farmland. Mm. Where I think in the States, you know, you, you get that road trip, Route 66, am I right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yep, goes that's from one the west them. to the <laughs> east. That's one of them. Yep. But there's so many states that you're going to pass and go to town and Mm. cities and things. There's so much more to see. I think that's why over here, a four hour road trip, people are like, it's going to be quite a long time. Yeah. When in essence, it's not. Right. In Sydney. Yes. Peak hour, it would sometimes take an hour and a half to travel eight kilometers. Eight kilometers. It's nothing.
1: No, that is nothing.
0: I don't know how many miles that is. Is it uh, five or four and a half? Yeah, it's four, about five half miles ish. Yeah, or just so over about, half. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because of peak hour. But there was no road rage. Everyone would be used to it. Everyone would let each other in, and so you get used to that. We're in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. For one, we're the most geographically isolated city in the world. Right. North, south, east, west. So four hours drive down south, north, east, <laughs> or east <laughs> seems like twenty. Ages, yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. I think in America you have so much more to see as you go through. Yeah. Your um college, what was it like?
1: <laughs> it was large. <laughs> it was a university. Um, it had a lot of people. It was once again very social. Um, yeah. It had, I mean, I think in the aspect it was very like um, work hard, play hard. Like in the movies, they make it seem like uh, it's crazy, party all the time. I was gonna, uh, my question was gonna involve,
0: yeah. is it like it in the movies? I just thought that's so cliche. Don't, yeah. don't say it, Wayne. But you brought it up, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, I think in the movies they obviously it's coming from an exaggerated perspective, entertainment, I mean, entertainment. Yeah, being. exactly. I mean, there is some reality base behind that where there are like a lot of parties and a lot of gatherings and frats and sororities and all all of these things. Um, Just
0: explain that to yes. an Australian.
1: Oh, okay. What is a
0: frat and what is sorority?
1: So a frat and a sorority, I I actually never joined one. So someone that was a part of it could give you more in-depth detail, but I'll give you like a, a, a broad summary of it is <laughs> a group of people that um, so, they started way back when the college started, and it, it's a community base that is wants a group to be a part of during the college experience. A lot of times, frat and sororities um, provide housing where you stay at the house for a year or two. Um, they provide social events. They provide, it's supposed to be a lifelong what they call brotherhood or sisterhood. Oh, okay. So, where. <laughs> Even after graduation, you know we're going to help you all throughout college. We'll be your support system. We'll be your social system. We'll provide all this. We'll even, you know, help you with housing and food and whatever else
0: while you're studying. Or
1: at the at the okay. So so there's two routes, kind of. I mean, there's more than two routes, but let's break it up into two routes. You could do the frat and sorority one, or you can just um, do your own um, pers- uh, your own social group and your own. Um, you would get your own apartment or you would stay at the dorms um, and do your own thing where if you went with the frat and sorority row, you would get your, you would spend your one or two years at the frat or sorority. And then after that, you would probably move out with the other frat or sorority sisters or brothers and into your other house.
0: It's like a community like house where you have many people. Yeah. And a lot of times
1: a lot of their events are based there. Sure. Um, yeah, it's 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 a perfect um explanation as a community house. But a lot of people I, I found that a lot of people don't understand too, like on top of the, you know, expensive college tuition, they're also paying for an extra fee and costs within going to a frat and sorority. And you have to So it's like a
0: membership fee as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, they are providing, you know, resources, but you're and you're definitely paying for those resources. Sure. Um also um they are Within the and sorority, I completely forgot what I was going to say now.
0: <laughs> yeah, you are talking about, um, there were, it's sort of, they look after you while you're there, but yeah. there's two routes to go, you were saying. like yeah. After yeah. the sorority, oh, they I then yeah. Yeah, blend yeah, yeah. back yeah. into the.
1: Also, you have to like audition or like try out or there's this um, thing called recruitment week where they, you go and try to go to different sororities and have them pick you or different frats. Right. And you have I to be invited now, to go to okay. that re- re- recruitment. I've seen
0: I've seen some movies that reflect that. that. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I understand it. Yeah, there okay. I mean
1: there was a handful of reasons why I didn't go that route. Um but I can I, there's Again, pros and cons, but there is like, I mean, if you don't know anyone, you're going to giant university and you don't know anyone and you want a solid tight knit group that will be there with you, not only throughout college, but also when you're going for job interviews and you're Mm. continuing out throughout life, because a lot of these sororities are based all throughout the US. So even like, for instance, like uh, there'll be one like Delta Zeta and that will be within Michigan, but then also have like other housing that are the same as Delta Zeta right. throughout. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you can always, like, even if you don't know that person, you can always reach out to them and it's sort of like this intertwined, inner group thing. Did you, you, try,
0: did you try it for any of them?
1: No, I mean, I went to a couple of events and I had a lot of friends that were in frats and sororities and I would go to their parties and, um, you know, hang out with them or go to their houses and sure. do events with them and... They were great people, don't like it just no, because it I didn't. No, it was No, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. But it was uh, personally for me, it just wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. Yeah, who it was. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't
0: that, or you just got rejected from every one of them?
1: <laughs> <laughs> they didn't accept me. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Yeah, you're touching on some yeah. <laughs> subjects now. <laughs> I'm f- all these memories come flooding
0: back of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you getting the royal flush. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you know what that is? No, what is it? And they
0: stick your head in the toilet and then push the flush?
1: Oh, we call it um, swirlies.
0: Swirlies? Yeah, swirlies. Because of the water?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. I don't know. I quite like the royal flush.
1: (laughs) Rejected. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again. (laughs) So your college life was pretty good. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was really good. But you
0: you were a pretty academic student anyway. You're saying... From what I remember, you said you got mostly A's and B's. I right? Yeah,
1: I had it. I mean, even getting into a nursing program was quite competitive. And I got you had to get almost all straight A's um, in order to actually get into the program. Because, mm. for instance, like at all colleges are kind of formed differently based off of the curriculum and how the college actually works. But usually it's two years of prereqs or one year prereq. Um, prereqs means just like the general education, like the the basics. Um, and then from those grades, you apply into different colleges. Sure. Um, and the nursing one, it's just how many seats they have based off of how many teachers and how many classrooms and how many people they can actually teach. So based off of that, uh, how competitive it is, is how many people are pri- uh, applying at the time. So in order to get even at the time that I was even applying, you had to get into pre-pre-nursing oh, and okay. then get into pre-nursing because wow. it was so competitive. They were accepting people into pre-pre-nursing and then cutting that number in half And saying only half of that could go into nursing. And then you went into pre-nursing. You did your first set of classes. And that really um, was going to weed out the people that you did your first set of classes. Mm. Like, this isn't for me. Sure. So then you went into nursing after they decided this wasn't for me. So you got
0: to be pretty young to sort of go, look, I'm going to make this commitment and push it all the way.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, I decided when I was like 15 and then... But went to college at 18 yeah. and then applied really? for pre ner- pre nursing at like 19 and then, yeah, continue on from there.
0: Who knows what yeah. they want to do at 15? <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to be pretty lucky to yes. sort of go, hey, this is exactly what I want to pursue. Yeah. But a lot of people, especially after high school, mm. I have yeah. no
1: idea. No idea. I mean, and how much do you change during that time too? I know, I know. Yeah. So even if they think they know, know. they might be going through huge life changing circumstances and situations where they're still trying to figure out who they are, you know, even just mm. making changes in their life and deciding, um, you know, that's definitely not the route for me.
0: Do you still keep in touch with anyone? From oh, that time yeah. in college?
1: Yeah. I mean, I still have friends from high school and friends from college. Oh, that's college. good. I mean, my my best friend, Akasha, that I, you know, she really introduced me to traveling. Um, mm. And I met her in college. Oh, okay. Yeah. So... I have some like lifelong great yeah. friends from those experiences. Yeah,
0: it's good to have, huh? Yeah, I've still got eight friends that I keep in touch with from high school.
1: I know that's awesome. You're I still know. In, You still have your core high school. Friend that's crazy.
0: Group. Uh, I caught a, One of them is Iranian, and he escaped Iran yeah. during their trouble times to come oh, here. Wow, and he was telling, he's the head of the, oh, he's, a, he's a manager at the Water Corporation. And mm. he was saying to his friends that I'm catching up with some old school bodies in the university. he's like, no, no, actually high school. And it's only when people get that sort of reaction, we realize how rare it is that mm. there's eight of us. And most of us have families and, you know, we're all professionals doing our own thing, but yet we still keep in touch. And we realize it's quite rare. We don't think it's rare until we meet other people. Mm. So whenever I do meet someone else that catches up with a old college buddy or high school, I'm like, oh, that's really cool, you know? Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you went into nursing really quickly, mm. but first you wanted to travel. Is that right?
1: Actually, it was more so during and after nursing. Uh, or at least during... It, oh, sorry. I get what you're saying. Um, I thought you meant studying nursing. But yeah. Mm. So yeah, I wanted to travel before starting my career in sure. nursing. Yes, I get what you're saying. Because mainly my first travel trips were starting throughout college. Um, and then after I graduated, that's when I did my longer trip. And yeah, that's when I started traveling. Was before I decided I wanted to get into my career and start building sure. time and effort. Well, also because I knew I wanted to do some traveling nursing. Um, whether if that was in the U S or international and in order to do travel nursing, you had to have a, a decent chunk of experience, you know, they say minimum one year, they'd like two years. So I knew once I would get a job that if I was going to do, um, travel nursing that I would really needed to focus in on getting some solid experience mm. in my, in my profession before doing that.
0: Do you think it should mm. be a rule, a law mm. that when you finish high school? Yeah. Everybody should at least take a three month holiday.
1: Yes, <laughs> because but okay, oh not think? a not a rule. Um, highly suggest because I mean everyone's different. Maybe that extremely even. Well, I take that back though because everyone <laughs> is different because you could take a three month holiday and just like be a homebody and still stay at home and just relax for three months um, without getting mm. into your career. I get where you're <laughs> saying that you should be exposed, but
0: not just that. I think yeah. we don't have. In most cultures, there's a rite of passage. Yeah. You know, from oh, a teen yeah. to an adult. Yeah. We don't have that. Yeah. So in a lot of Western cultures, we, we're we trying to um, go from that's, uh, there's rain outside. That's oh. why the lights are flashing. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's weird cool. that way. Every now and then <laughs> the lights will flash and we're like, oh yeah, it's raining outside. Um, yeah, we don't have that rite to passage. Mm. So I think after high school, if kids are made to go on a three-month holiday, some to Europe for a year or whatever. I think you learn so much in that time oh, definitely. where it, it can focus your options on what you want out of life. Yeah. Because kids these days don't have time. They don't even have time to think. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, like you said, 15 years old, you sort of had to sort of roughly know before you take this journey into college, right? Mm. I mean, how many of us at 15 sort of sit there and go, but... You have to choose something. If you know you're going in that direction, you've got to choose something. Mm. But is it harder, do you think, to take time off and then come back into that world again?
1: I think it would be. I don't...
0: Oh, look how much it changed you.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would Mm. be. I think it... Yeah, I think if we took... (laughs) If we took the time off at like before you even went into... So you're saying, would you take the time off between high school and college or between college and starting your professional no, career? No, high school and college. That would be so hard. <laughs> See if it, I think making it mandatory after college maybe, but... No, because you've you, already
0: done your study studies, towards a profession, profession in that co- you already chose.
1: Yeah, you know? maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think there'd be some big changes in the world. I don't think a lot of... I mean, if I came back from my three-month trip, I probably at that time, wouldn't have went into college. I don't know. Like, and I love my college education. I love where I'm at and I love my profession. Um, Or it just would have taken me a lot longer because I would have just been so exposed. I, I just know coming back from that trip, I was so like just ready to be more exposed to the world and see what else was out there. And um, to dive into another five years of or four or five years of college would have just been so hard for me to yeah. commit to. Mm. Yeah. So yeah.
0: most people probably wouldn't take that commitment. You think?
1: Um, going back in. Well, they come back it. from yeah.
0: overseas just like fuck it. Yes, I don't <laughs> think they. No would. way, I'm yeah. going that way. Exactly. Or it's an excuse. Like I will get there, but I, there's other parts of the world I'm going to see, and like. 30 yeah. years later, you're still traveling around the world. Yeah, just still exactly. Still trying to go, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, I think mm. I
1: take back my last statement of not making it mandatory for people to travel at three months. Um, I guess I was thinking of some some uh, some people I know are afraid to even fly, but we'll mm. just send them on a bus and send them down south, like go to like anywhere. South America, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, it but doesn't no, I have think to be I think it should be mandatory. I mean, at least at some point in your life, mm. whatever, whenever that may be.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be yeah. overseas, like you said. just yeah. take a bus and go, go to go, another state yeah. somewhere that's out mm. of. The world you've grown up on and been consumed by, you know, I think that could be a good thing. No, definitely. Did you actually work in any other state besides Michigan?
1: No, I just worked in Michigan. So I graduated in 2015 from Western Michigan University. Mm. I worked there for a little bit longer while I passed my boards and then I went traveling a little bit uh, for three months. And then I came back and got a job at the University of Michigan um, working at the Children's Hospital. It's called CS Mott Children's Hospital.
0: Where did you travel to?
1: Um, I went to Southeast Asia. So my my best friend, Akasha, she was on a six-month travel trip with my other really good friend, um, Kayla, and they were traveling for six months all throughout Southeast Asia. So I was like, when I graduate, Mm -hmm. I'm coming to meet up with you. (laughs) So at the end of their trip, I joined for um, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Uh, Well, I landed in Bangkok, but I didn't get to see like Thailand or Bangkok really for one, I was jet lagged. And for two, we just went straight to to Cambodia. Um, Yeah, so we spent a month in Cambodia, a month in Laos, and a a month in Vietnam.
0: Mm. Because it's quite expensive to travel to Southeast Asia from the States, isn't it?
1: It's an uh, it's an expensive flight. Um, obviously, once you get to Southeast Asia, it's. Mm-hmm. Um, I was blown away about how inexpensive it is to once travel you're once you're there. Yeah. Yes, it's beautiful, <laughs> especially as a, um, a relatively broke new grad. I mean, well, I was because I was in debt, but I also saved up some money for this trip. Um, uh, but yeah, broke new grad that. Um, yeah, it was really cheap once you got there. That being said, when I did go, I was twenty. No, I was twenty-two, turning twenty-three, and I still had my dad's flight benefits, which oh, was okay. lovely because I got to catch a standby flight over there. Um, and actually, yeah, so that saved me a ton of money. Um, yeah. Besides that, I think a flight over would be between like a thousand to yeah, around the thousand mm. um, dollar mark to fly over to Southeast Asia.
0: From there's, the US. A, there's a guy I was watching online, and he's made it a, a business now. Mm. Um, to actually, he compares places like from the states. He'll say you can go to New York and you can have a night in New York for this price. Yeah, and this is the club. This is the cost of the drinks. This mm. is for your stay. Or you could go to this place outside of the United States. Right. And he said one of his favorite places was Colombia, Yeah, mm. especially now. Mm. He said for a fraction of the cost. He compares, funny enough, Colombia to Thailand. Mm. As in, wow. you know, the rest of the world, a lot of people, his two favorite places was Colombia and Thailand. Yeah, But to go to Thailand, he was saying for people in the States, it's a, quite a lot of money in retrospect of, yes. of yeah. going to Colombia. Mm. But for us to go to South America, it's so expensive Yeah, from here. But yeah. yet most of us want to go.
1: I mean, a lot of Americans end up going to Mexico because it's so mm. close and inexpensive. And, and because I've been to Mexico a couple of times and then as well as – I've Mexico is more short-term trips and I wouldn't actually say I've explored Mexico. I would, I would like to one day. Mm. Um, but Guatemala, I went and visited my friend once again. Um, she lived there for a little bit and the flight was – 200, 300 bucks which isn't too bad and then once you're there it was it was a relatively small price definitely to be in like Guatemala or like Central America yeah
0: how expensive
1: how expensive yeah. so roughly if you're gonna spend a month and you're like backpacking and budgeting um I would say about if you're gonna do a month I do usually like a thousand US dollars but that's also with backpacking budgeting but doing things. Okay. Um, and that's a rough estimate. Like, um, yeah, it, it, it would maybe like a thousand to a thousand two hundred for the month. And if you're, if you're doing quite a bit while you're there, cause you also want to like see the country explore. and enjoy things mm. and explore. Yeah. Um, if you were just going to go for a weekend, I don't know, $200 trip there and then, I don't know, two or $300 while you're there, $500 trip for yeah. an amazing yeah. experience in Guatemala, like experiencing a, a different culture, um, yeah, I think travel is, is one of, for me personally, was one of the most influential and, uh, best learned, uh, educational experiences I've, it I've is. done hands down. And I mean, that's from, um, I mean, I met, uh, Tate and like the love of my life while I was traveling and I've also experienced, I mean, You you experience and learn a lot about yourself, but you also experience and uh, learn a lot about the outside world. So from, you know, meeting the love of my life and also to yeah, Mm. and and I mean, you can experience terrorism in your own home, but I did experience a a, a terrorist attack, the terrorist attack that just happened in um, Sri Lanka uh, in April, and I don't know. It's just, you're in different perspective, different mindsets, and there's some real, even without finding love and terrorist attacks, there's a lot of learning to do while you're traveling all around. I think so. All around. Yeah. I think so. I
0: think the fear of not going, I think the regret would be a lot worse than fear. Mm. I think if you're an older person. Yeah. And then thinking, why didn't I go? Mm. I think that would be a lot worse than – it's a lot worse than the fear of not going when you're that age, if I'm making sense. No, yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah. <clears throat> I think regret's a lot worse. Yeah. I don't want to be that age and then thinking, why didn't I just break through the fear and go? I'd have an experience mm. at least to talk about now.
1: But I think, I think too, there's some people that wouldn't have that regret because they don't know what they're missing because I haven't traveled before.
0: I was going to ask you what, if yes. your friends were not traveling, would you have traveled?
1: Um, I think at that time I would have traveled. So I did my my first solo trip was just recently in A- April, and it was only for like really two weeks. But at that time I felt more comfortable. I feel more comfortable now traveling alone, but I felt more comfortable meeting up with people to travel with. Mm. There was definitely that interest and desire to travel, and I jumped on board as soon as I could. Um, but I definitely would have been searching for someone to do it with me just because that uncertainty. And um, yeah, I mean, my best friend has traveled way more than I have. And so she was an experienced traveler. And just to have her there, That's good. I wanted mm. to experience a, a decently large travel trip, but um, to have some, a partner in crime and someone definitely. to help um, guide me through it as well. Like, you don't know what you don't know. And it, it was just easier with her to teach you how to you know, find good places to go or how to use the transportation or, I mean, that's half the fun figuring it out as well. Like she didn't know <clears throat> the answers, but she knew how to figure it out. Okay. And that was what I really learned from her. Like was just how do you, when you're out there and you don't know, but how do you figure it out?
0: <laughs> you, you, you get surprised how yeah. resourceful you become. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially when you are out of your comfort zone in that sort of way. Yeah. You, know? um, you were talking about, it does give you perspective on things. Mm besides, you know, finding the love of your life. Yeah. What are some of those perspectives that you learned about the world? Do you think that you you've taken with you?
1: Yeah, um, a huge one is the 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 concept behind wants and needs. Um, you know, what do you? Where is that desire coming from? Is it something that you need or is it something that you want? Um, and then that that was a huge life changing shift for me. Um, really debating about what's needed in my life and what's wanted, and then also. The concept be- between a community, like how different communities work and mm. how people could have so little materialistic things yeah, and have so much more um, when it comes to relationships and uh, taking care of one another and loving and caring and, and generosity and be genuine. It's not expecting anything out of it. Um, it's just from a genuine spot of... Wanting to help and wanting to take care of each other in a community, um, I think those were two really big, big things that I was like observed mm-hmm. and learned. Also, I think um, we've talked a lot about like knowing yourself and taking care of yourself. You realize where you come from and your identity and what you identify with, and where some of these uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions, your yourself in general, are coming from and what place it's coming from. Um, by experiencing other cultures and other worlds, um, but also, I spend a lot of time trying to focus on um, identifying that and understanding it, but also letting it go when it when your ego and your mind is getting in, and your thoughts are getting in the way of um, in a in, in a, a situation um, when it when they're coming up in a negative way instead of. Identifying with that voice inside of your head, um, realizing it, and and letting it pass when it's when it's in the negative. I don't know if that, if I, yeah, yeah. I kind of went on a <laughs> tangent, but I think, I think when I was traveling, the identity, per, like um, perspective as well, like knowing where you're coming from, but then also ha- learning how to like let some of that identity go and like that ego and the voice get in your way of things. Yeah. Mm.
0: You know what, you know what it did with me? Yeah. Uh, Cause ego is a hard, it's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> to everyone. And yeah. it always sneaks back in. Mm. Always. I think it's because of the society we live in. Mm. How it changed me. Yeah. How, how letting go ego in a way mm. it's travel, especially cause I love, as you know, I love traveling to all these, you know, the ancient cultures. I realized how insignificant we were <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds crazy, no, that's, that's but r- I but get what you're saying. Cause especially in, yeah. in Greek mythology, mm. uh, we were nothing to the gods. Yeah. You know, uh, we were nothing. Uh, human beings were a distraction. Yeah. But it was refreshing. It was refreshing to sort of uh, read something where we are not the be all and end all and the centre of the universe. Yeah. It made us feel. It made me feel insignificant, but in a good way.
1: Yeah. Hum- I'm it it you humbled a you. humble yeah. Experience. Like who yeah. are we? Yeah.
0: Like why are we so? Why are we complaining about this? We're not important. Mm. And I don't know. It's sort of. It was a backward way. Of improving oneself. When you said, "I'm not important. I'm not insignificant," it was almost a Tyler Durden way, like a Fight Club way, of just going, "We're we're we're not snowflakes. Yeah. Uh, we're not beautiful creatures. Uh, we come, and in a blink of an eye, we go gone.
1: Yeah.
0: So, but it made me a better person. Mm. It uh, it let go of that ego a little bit easier, just by understanding that you know we're not in we're insignificant in the big scheme of things like when you're talking about the universe and you know our life and earth yeah like yes the environment's in trouble but the world will recover human beings won't Mm. yes and that's just human beings will be another part i I had another guest here uh, mike mccall we were talking Mm. about the same thing oh yeah and he said uh exactly that in the big scheme of things we're not even a blink so when we get into this all glorified importance of who we are, it's not that at all. Right. And it's a lot easier to sort of let go of ego. Yeah. And just do the things that make us smile. Yeah. Instead of worrying about, you know, what's going to happen in five months. We're not, we may not be alive in five months, as in anything could happen to us. Hmm. We nearly got into a serious car accident yesterday. Wow. Uh, and, you know, we, went, we came away from that and uh, it just reminded us. Anything could happen at any mm. time. You know, we're talking about change before and how change is the one thing that is always constant. And I think that's how I let go of ego. Yes. Yeah. I came back and I learned about the mythology of that culture and then sat there and went, we're not important. Yeah. So why am I well, also, making things to be? Yeah. You know? Also
1: like, um, like, having that humble experience of being able to let go of the ego and realizing that we're not as significant as uh, we might, you know, we, we might think we are, um, lets you do more things that you enjoy with your time, but also like what I'm going to mm-hmm. leave. All right. We're only here for a short period of time, but what am i going to leave behind, what can I do that is good? And help, like help out instead of yeah. like just focusing on myself because myself isn't as significant as I thought I yeah, was, yeah. you know? So like, what can I do that, you know, it's just pure joy, but also like, what can I do that is good? I don't know. That's mm. the way I look at it in the sense that like we are here just for like a blink of time. But like during that time, what, what sort of impact do I want to have? Like, and I want to have a, a positive, contagious, good impact and I don't know. Figuring out the ways to do that. Yeah.
0: Do you think it's because we're not parents? I think things mm. change when you're yes, a parent.
1: Yes, that could be. That too. Yeah? So yes. when you have kids, Definitely. then there is significance. Oh, yeah.
0: It's like no, my my kid is the most important thing in this world. Yeah. So and often I think do I think that way because I'm not mm. a, I'm not a parent. So yeah. I can easily go, yeah, we're insignificant. That's true.
1: <laughs> we're just specks
0: of dust. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah. come and go. Who cares, you know.
1: <laughs> and then we have a baby like, I have one purpose. <laughs> to be the king.
0: <laughs> I want to rule the world yeah. and I want him to take over everything.
1: <laughs> My legacy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh. Screw everybody. <laughs>
1: My family is the most important. It's not about (laughs) helping
0: anybody but yourself, no. But you you can understand that. I had an interesting chat with my friends because they've got four kids. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about, um, you know, the difference between countries. Mm. So I'm not, you know, I won't mention the country because I've got a lot of friends there. But, you know, they said Australia is lazy. Like France, like, uh, you know, <laughs> Germany. I said, I don't think you can generalize a whole population on that. Yeah. But when you're talking about France and the reason why they said it, it wasn't because of work and it wasn't about that. It was about how much time that we have off mm. as a culture. And I said, I said to him, what you call lazy, I call appreciating that time. Like yeah. we're not, we're not living to work. Yeah. So so when we do have that time, Australians enjoy it. And I'm sure uh, Americans do too. Mm -hmm. France, I I know Germany, I think, get three months off, like nearly 12 weeks, I think they get off. Wow. Well, that's why they're the most, some of the most, uh, most traveled cultures in the world. Mm. But they work like, you know, they work hard. But when they Mm -hmm. have time off, they get rewarded and they travel. So I don't think um, we're lazy because we have so much time off and that was a big thing because they were parents. So a lot of their a lot of their motivations came from providing. So I in other words, I could be 3 million dollars in debt. I don't care. Mm. Because eventually my kids will have those assets to go on. And I can understand that. Mm. I can understand that to a point because I don't think that you should give up your whole life for, (laughs) listen, it's going to sound weird, but I don't think you should give up your whole life because also I think kids need to be inspired by example. Yeah. So who's to say that your kids then won't do it and give up their life for the next person and then Mm. for the next person? Uh, Are you ever going to just take that bit of that time to enjoy what you have already? Yeah. I mean, kids, you know, so many kids are affected by uh, struggles at home when it comes to finances, mm. you know, uh, there in, I was a victim of that. You no, know, my sister was a victim. I mean, we, we didn't have it as hard as other people, but you know, were, everything that happened at home that got out of hand was because of arguments about money. Most yeah. of it. So, there is pros, there's cons, but I think at the same time, if we appreciate the simple things, and like you said, right from our first conversation, you learn things when you travel to other cultures, you learn things that, you know, materialism is, doesn't make you happy. I mean, it, it's always said and it sounds so fricking cliche. <laughs> and but it's true. It is true only because I know people with wealth that are not happy. It doesn't. It just doesn't. I think uh, happiness comes from other things. I I always call the materialism, you know, the four-year-old Christmas present. You know, when you're four and you wish for something, you know, for for months ahead, you eventually get it. Two weeks later, you're wishing for the next Christmas present. Yeah. And the only thing that happens when you get older is the presents get more expensive. Yeah. You know. <laughs> So it's a different type of happiness. It's, a, it's an external happiness. Mm. I read uh, somebody once said that their lives will be defined by the things they do, not by the things they own. Yeah. And I think that's part of an example that you should share with kids. I think that's part of, you know, how to inspire children to be better yeah. people, you know, rather than a good parent is just to be a good provider. I don't I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. And, you know, obviously I don't have kids. So right. what, yeah, what what comes back at me is like, Wayne, what the fuck would you know? <laughs> you, you don't have kids. Yeah. And, and I mean, partly part of that is true. Yeah. Because my wife and I can take unnecessary risks that we wouldn't have done if we had children. Yeah. You know? So it, we could take those unnecessary risks without thinking, I can't do that. In case something happens, you know, we've got to provide for these for these kids. Yeah, and I think it's allowed us that sense of freedom to be able to think a bit more freely. That could be a little bit more irresponsible, yeah. <laughs> Do you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I
1: think. Um, no, I, th- I think. I think when you have a kid. Uh, well, once again, I don't have a kid either, but um, I could see the stressors that come from. Focusing, I need to provide for them. I need of to provide course. for them. You can so, understand it. So then I can see where you know those morals and ha- and teaching them happiness doesn't just come from the materialistic things could be put on the back burner because you're you're focusing so much more on um, their basic needs of providing for them, and then um, through providing for them, uh, a, a way to give back to them is through those materialistic things. But I do think it is um, extremely important to. Show the work lifestyle balance, and like you we were saying before, is um Australia has like some r- like extraordinary um time ah. off com- experience, ex- especially compared to like the U.S. Mm. Um, but I think based off of the two cultures, one of the pr- or like the contrast that I've seen is, I wouldn't say lazy, I would just say more work lifestyle
0: balance. Yeah, that that's I, what I was getting at. Yes,
1: and and where in in the U.S. it is more like. Um like I said before, like work hard, play hard, but also just like more work focused driven and and I'm not saying Australians aren't ambitious, but the ambitious determined to get further and further and further and it had to be comfortable and to mm. be, once you're comfortable, you're happy. But I think then you're missing all of the stuff in between and then you're unhappy. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a vicious cycle yeah. <laughs> of like working hard and then being unhappy and stressed out and then not finding that balance where I do think we need more vacation. Did you, did you find States? it hard simulating back <laughs> mm.
0: into your society after being to Southeast Asia? Cause I know I did.
1: Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean that was my first like bigger trip and I saw a lot of changes within myself and it's hard. It's always hard. Like what? Like what? I just wanted to I just wanted to come back and just share all these experiences and just like ch- like change some of the things that I was used to at home, like, you know, with the people that for instance, let's give an example.
0: Yeah, I'm waiting for the example. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's
1: think. Um I guess the materialistic things is a huge example. Like going, once you go to somewhere that isn't as focused on the materialistic things that look and feel and are so genuine and happy, um, and then you come back and you try to reinforce that at home or share that with your friends and family and, and you want them to experience that and think that way and without telling them like, no, you're wrong for doing this because that won't get any change. Um, I think that was frustrating to try to share those things with other people and just expect them to understand because that's why we say travel is the best education because you have to experience it in order for it to actually make a, a genuine impact, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, what do you think? What was it? What were same question back to you? Well, I went to, Yeah. What
0: I remember preparing myself to go to Myanmar, mm. um, AKA Burma. And when I first, when we were going, I was preparing myself for, look, Wayne, you're going to be faced to see a lot of poverty here. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is going back, I think, 2004. You're going to see a lot of poverty. But, you know, the last thing they want is sympathy. So I was preparing myself in that way because we had family there. Mm. So, you know, you've got to act normal and, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't like to have someone come to my country and be so sympathetic. So don't show them a lot of photos and, you know, it's just, I didn't know what to think really. Mm. I've been to Southeast Asia, but not to a country like Burma. Yeah. Back where back then it was very poor. Mm. My biggest shock was getting there. And then feeling sorry for myself and the people back home because the people were so nice and happy. Nice, yeah. So that that was my shock. That's why I asked you that question because I came back thinking, now what do I do?
1: Yeah, like exactly. It's like (laughs) that was the frustration. You come back and be like, this stuff isn't really making you happy, and like trying to share that, but you can't. You can't. That's it. You can't. And the easiest thing you try to compare it with is the materialistic things, like you're buying this and doing this and stressing out about all these bills and payments and stuff, but it's like, it's not making you (laughs) happy. And you just, you can't, you really
0: can't. Yeah. You really can't. You can't. Are they happy? Mm. (laughs) Are they happy? Have they found out uh, that in a way where they can't get material things that we can. So it's, they're either faking. <laughs> all of them are faking to be happy. <laughs> it's all the Truman Show because we're to a, it's like North Korea. You know, you go to North Korea and there's this big like, oh, we've got plenty, but uh, <laughs> it's all a put on. Or are they sitting there going, you know, we're never going to get it? Yeah. So w- why are we stressed? Yeah. In our society, there's always there's capitalism. Mm. We can like. If we try and if we push the right buttons, you know, we can have a lot of wealth, Mm. but it's that journey to, to get the wealth where we fall by the wayside.
1: Yeah. I think the, I mean, I think it's capitalism in the sense that it's like overstimulation. There's too much to want. There's too much. And that's where the wants come from. Mm. Like the balance between the wants and the needs, like we were saying, I think they've figured out. Um when it's appropriate time to get stressed like I'm not saying that they don't have stressors but they they seem genuinely happy because they're stressing about a lot less and I think it's probably based off of the wants and needs like they're more focused on the needs instead of all these hypothetical and um potential wants but they
0: stress they stress then even though they stress less wouldn't it be a lot more intense because they are stressing about the needs. Mm. Like, are we going to have enough food? Yeah. So does it equal out? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a good question.
0: Because I do know, yes, they're happier in in one sense and there's different levels of happiness, but are they sitting there going, well, we're happy because we don't have that hope that you guys do. Mm. So what's the point? But yet our stresses are on this is just the hypothesis, like uh, I'm with you here. Yeah. Because everywhere I went, they seemed content. Yeah. It wasn't just, it wasn't so much happiness. It was content. They were content with what they had. They, the kids didn't want the next iPad where over here, we're constantly being reminded of what we don't have through social media and everywhere you look. Mm. Now someone's, you know, got the new iPhone and new Samsung. And so we're going, we're being reminded all the time where they're not. Yeah. I don't
1: know. We met. We met uh uh when we were in Burma. Uh, we met a 98-year-old man um and he definitely li- lived it like in a very um basic simplistic lifestyle. You could tell we ended up um, coming across him in a small town in Burma. Um, we were on a search to find a actual concentration camp, um, <laughs> Japanese concentration camp. <laughs> um, his name was Ubatin and he was, um, They we got led to him because we were trying to find this concentration camp they're like, oh, well he's been here for you know years and years and years and his family's been here for generations, so if anyone was gonna know where this con- concentration camp that you're looking for, um, he would be the guy, so find this Ubatin guy, so we found him, 98 years old, walking around, he still plows in his fields, and, and and you could tell, like, people would come, Westerners, you could say I'm generalizing, but Westerners could come and see his lifestyle and be like, wow, that's that's not healthy lifestyle, that's, you know, he doesn't have a lot, he needs more than that, yada, yada, yada. He was extremely happy, extremely healthy. Yes, he probably had stressors at the time in order to provide for himself. But I still think it's the balance between the need um, where like his food was probably like fresher um, and fresher in the sense of like not preservatives Mm. and and. Um, Not packed with chemicals and stuff, and more active a lifestyle and less, hopefully, less stressful of a lifestyle. That's all led him to live up until 98 where he's still walking around, still plowing his fields. Like it was just mind boggling to me to see someone at his age and how Mm. healthy he generally was. Healthy and happy.
0: (coughs) Could that be Mm. the happiness? Could that be, you know, when somebody goes through tragedy? So, Japanese war camps, prisoners of war, war veterans. Yeah. Anything that compares to that level of stress they get over there mm. is nothing yeah, in, our, yeah. in perspective. our world. That's their perspective. Our yeah. perspective is going to see a poorer nation yeah. as in material wealth. Right. You know, their perspective is life and death. Yeah. So does that change things then? So when Mm -hmm. you do come back, you know, you'll often find these 90 year olds that have lived through, you know, I saw this Hiroshima veteran the other day talking, he lived through both of those bombs, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Mm -hmm. Um, But yet his life after that, there was nothing that could compare to that level of pain and stress. So the result of that is he isn't as stressed or worried about the stupid things you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think that makes a difference. I really do. And then there's people that have that over there that they come back and they just cannot adapt back into this society. Yeah. You know, they've just seen and been through too much mm. where they bring that back with them. And then you have, you know, the war veterans that come back and think, you know, you're stressing over not having enough pasta.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Right.
0: Where's the perspective? And it's,
1: it's probably, too, like how to handle stress. Like I think maybe that's mm. a cultural thing of how to handle stress. Like if it's, like you said, with the, with the war of veterans, um, some of them obviously would come back and maybe not be able to, uh, and like PTSD, and mm. would have long-term significant um, stress effects. But in the, in the day-to-day um, handling stress, like lifestyle over materialistic things and everything else that we've been saying that's more surface than the basic, you know, what do I need to do right now to feed my family and what do I do right now Mm. to do the basic needs? Um, Maybe it's a cultural thing about how handling stress. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think – I don't think it's a cultural thing as much as an individual thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, you can live in the same culture, but Mm. some people just – they see it in different ways. You know, uh, You know, people that live next door yeah. could be on the verge of like… You know. <laughs> 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 but yeah. yet we're, going, we're living in the same culture. So I think it's personal experience and perspective. Yeah. I think uh, it comes a lot when you do travel. You see yeah. perspective mm. and it gives you a different outlook on life, on your own life. And like you said, you've seen it in the term of wants and needs. And I think that's quite relevant. I think that's mm. quite true. Yeah. What do we need in order to feel that, you know, Mm. and I think we have to simplify it because our world is so complicated. Mm. For me, it came down to Wayne, just do what makes you smile. Yeah. And if it makes other people smile and what, would you do what you're doing now if you didn't have, if you couldn't tell anyone about it? Mm. And that's, um, that's like a measurement. I heard that the other day. So would you read the book you're reading now? Would you go on the trip you're going on now? If you couldn't tell anyone about it anyway, Mm. that means it's in the betterment of yourself. Yeah, definitely. And, And I think you just sort of have to simplify your own rules to your own life. Yeah. If I have, you know, books of philosophy, I'm not, it doesn't apply to me. Well, they do, but it doesn't connect in certain ways where somebody just tells you, Wayne, just do what makes you smile. Mm. Um, So I won't say any names, um, but someone really important to me once said, you know, what would you do if you could get up every day and do for no money? And if if you know what that is, try and make that vocation your vacation. Yeah. Because if you're doing what you love... Uh, if you enjoy it. it, doesn't matter whether you make a lot of money or not, you're a, a better human being for it. And and you, you don't have these stressful days where you bring that stress home and affect other people. It's very hard to do something you love and come home in a bad mood. Yeah. No matter how bad the day gets, it's, it's no matter how bad the work gets. If you are enjoying that, mm. it's very hard for that to be for, you know, for that job, it, uh, that energy of that job does infect other people. Bad moods were a big thing with me, you know, like I, I grew up in, a, in an environment where, you know, people were moody. And so a big thing for me was when I grew up, I didn't want to be in a relationship where there were bad moods. If you have a bad day, let's talk about it. Don't go to sleep in a bad mood. And try and if you have a bad, if you have a bad day, it's not because of me. So I'm here to help. So let's talk about it. Don't take it out on me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when I first met my wife and we were first going out, I said to her right from day one, I said, if you're a moody, if you're in a bad mood a lot, we're not going to last because I've had to grow up with that. So we have to talk about it. And uh, she was fine and uh, and thank God because yeah. uh, uh, you know she's as a big talker like I am nobody sees it but I do <laughs> 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 so that was really important to me and I don't know what led us to this conversation in the first place
1: handling I don't know either yeah, <laughs> yeah. handling stress and oh, yeah, happiness yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. finding ha- finding out what. I, I guess that was the main part of the discussion was like just finding out was happiness. A, yeah.
0: Happiness and stress yeah. and handling stress yeah. in that way. And I think everybody has their own way. Yeah. I really do. No, um, I, and,
1: and I mean, I completely agree. Like for me, what makes me fulfilled and happy is helping others. So if I can put all my time and effort into helping others or like my job um, go, it is directly working with patients and helping um, putting that time energy, I enjoy doing it. So it just comes more naturally, more easy, and and you're not fighting against yourself the whole time. Because if you're doing something that you don't enjoy doing or doesn't make you happy, it doesn't make you smile, I think it, it's more of a struggle. Mm. So being in, entwined with, um, yeah, what your interests are and, and what, what brings your fulfillment. And even if your job isn't bringing your fulfillment, like your free time, like what you're doing with your free time in order to bring happiness and fulfillment to that. Yeah. I think that's huge with just knowing your identity and what you're like, you Mm -hmm. know, even being in touch with, you know, doing different things. Because you lie to yourself like, this does make me happy. But are you really showing it? Is that is your energy really giving out that... um, Is what you're telling yourself what your energy is really portraying as well? You know, your mind and... (laughs) I was just thinking someone... Yeah.
0: You know, what if... Killing people makes somebody happy. <laughs> 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 then what? You know, oh, you know, did you have a good day? I had a freaking brilliant day. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring that home. Yeah. And I'm a joyous person. Yeah. Yeah. But you, Let's you, bring that home. You'd get that.
1: Let's <laughs> do it in our free time.
0: <laughs> You'd have your psychopaths out there Looking. that's it's like, that's me. You're yeah. listening to this now going, <laughs> oh, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> You know um, <laughs> what I was gonna ask is no. the differences between Yeah. Um I was curious being a nurse yeah. and coming here in Australia and working. Yes. What's the what are the differences?
1: Well there was a lot of differences. Um I mean a huge basic difference was just terminology. I mean you guys have yeah. so many like well even just in if you were to compare and contrast like the way US mm. talk and way way Australia talks, um and just different lingos and, and you guys shorten a lot of things. So even a basic thing that I know, like the back of my hand at my job, if they were to call it something else here, um, and I like took a second to ask a question like, oh, um, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? If, since it's a basic part of my job, that could make me look um, when I was first learning uh, the differences in the terminology to the other workers, I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know what that is. That's a basic part of a job. I'm like, oh, well we call it this in the U S. Yeah. So that was like a huge thing is learning the different terminology. Um, sure. I mean, there's a lot of medical terminology that's exact same. Um, but for instance, I work in the theater. So a lot of instruments, um, even from hospital hospital, they can be called different names. So, um, so even the instruments from country to country uh, could be called different things. So just learning the way things were done here. Uh, you said
0: you call a hospital. What do you call a hospital?
1: No, with I'm sorry. Within hospitals, oh, okay. the, within. they would they would call instruments um, different names. So if I went, you know, I worked at U of M, but even if I went down the road uh, to a different hospital, they. Those surgeons uh, sure. could nickname or call different instruments different names. Yeah. Oh, okay. So learning those were that was a huge um, hurdle. Uh, another big thing is uh, I did agency nursing when I was here in Australia. Uh, and agency nursing in the U.S., you get based mainly in one hospital for a set contract. So uh, anywhere from three to six to nine months at a time, you sign a contract, and it's pretty much saying this hospital needs um, a, a a nurse in your specialty to come in and and fill in the the gap with um, people being sick sure. or just they're in the hiring process or people are on leave. Um, where in Australia, your agency nursing is what I started off with when I came over here. Um, the agency nurses are called the, the night before or the morning of your shift and notified which hospital you're going oh, to. Oh, is that right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so there's no
0: like, a I, I thought there was like a week roster.
1: No, 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 it was, what? yeah, it was all, um, through agency, you're all notified through a, an app or either they call you, um, and they notify you which shift and which hospital you're heading to. So when I was working as an agency nurse here, I was working at, um, 12 different hospitals all through the Perth metropolitan area. So, picture coming, (laughs) yeah, and picture coming um, from a different country, coming over here, learning um, how, like, just how to get around the transportation, how to, you know, getting a car, getting all settled in, driving on the other side of the road, just learning those differences, yeah, as well as coming in and bopping around from hospital to hospital, um, and and meeting new people every day. It was the first couple months, to be frank, where. Relatively difficult just to get my my footing. The the job itself, I felt very comfortable and confident. Like I knew how to do mm. my role, and I felt very good um, doing the the job because I had you know two and a half years experience before that doing that same role. So the job itself and the surgery and the procedures those were all ex- extremely familiar and easy easy to me. Um, it's the fact of just. Getting the flow of um, of the hospitals, and it felt like the first day of work over and over again. Uh, mm. The first couple of months, because I was going to so many different hospitals at a time.
0: What are the biggest differences between mm. the people?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: Because um, we never hear it from yeah. We always give the difference because Australians that travel elsewhere. Yeah. But what do you think are the biggest differences between working in America, not the work, but the people?
1: Not the work, but the people, but just people in general, not even in the work aspect.
0: Mm. Um, What are the the cultural differences between people here in the States? I think
1: one that we've already like brushed up on a little bit, and this is talking about work again, but... Um, is the work lifestyle balance. I think Australia has it figured out with how to have more of a, a lifestyle work balance. Um, and I think the states do have more of a, a work focus driven. Um, it's first work and um, ambitions, determinations, whatever. And then everything else is kind of like, how do we fill in our extra spare time with that? Like doing the social aspect. Speaking of social aspect, I do, and maybe it's just because we're in Perth, but um, Perth is more of a, a sleepier city than mm. I'm used to, um, where I do feel like a lot of cities within the US are extremely, it, it's not a, extremely more active and there's always events and concerts and shows going on, or you're always making plans to do social events where here there are events and shows and stuff, but the importance of spending that your extra time to go to those. You know, oh, yeah. should I go or should I relax at home yeah. and watch TV? And I'm not saying one's better than the other. No, um, no. We but noticed. i definitely noticed Even from that. the
0: east to the west coast here. Yeah. Um, Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah. It's it's a lot busier. Mm. But we like that. You know, I grew up yeah. in my 20s and in Sydney. Uh, it was a very hard to come back to Perth and adjust to this way. Because mm. it's like everyone's walking in slow-mo. <laughs> when you get here, yeah, but no one it, rushes, <laughs> everyone's just like, Taking even the rush time. hour here is nothing. Yeah. Um, but after a while, you sort of get used to it. You sort of sit there and go, yeah, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but it is hard. Because yeah. I am a city person, my wife's a city person too, mm. so we found that you pretty like hard. to be
1: extremely active and
0: not, not just, uh, but knowing there is options, things happening All around time. us. Yeah, you yeah. know, like we used to go to this ja- big band. They used to play big band. I was twenty-five with my friend, and mm. we used to take cigars down to this place called Soup Plus, mm. and there used to be a big band down there, fourteen-piece like bands, uh, jazz music, and we used to just go on a Monday night, every Monday night, we'd go and we'd just uh, drink whiskey, uh, smoke a cigar, or 24, 25, and listen to big band music. Mm. And then it would be in this 100-year-old uh, bar on Friday night called Barons. And, uh, you know, it would be a place that looked like vampires would hang out, but, you know, the old Chesterfield fireplaces, backgammon tables, dark and, but yet every walk of life was there. So, you See, know, I
1: just pictured the scene in Blade where they yeah, go yeah. into the club though. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> like, like yeah. raining blood. <laughs>
0: That's an abattoir.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this, was, I was, like, oh, this okay. was, this was, um, <laughs> like more old school style. Yeah. More yeah. old
0: school, more sort of, um, what's the Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt film? Interview oh, with a vampire. vampire. Yeah, yeah it's, vampire. it's almost yeah. something that would it's be okay. in Europe. Mm-hmm. And there's these huge fireplaces, backgammon tables, old Chesterfields everywhere, a duke box. And a bar, a guy, an Austrian guy who'd worked there for 30 years. And uh, any walk of life, like you'd go there and you'd see goths, you'd see people in business suits, you'd see anyone… Mm. Punks, but yet everybody would be there because they'd all just mingle and like the atmosphere. So you'd go from big band to suddenly uh, a place like Barons, and then Saturday we there was this. Place that looked like Happy Days. I don't know if you remember Happy Days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it would be 24 hours and you could order alcohol and eat in there. And they'd have these huge booths and these uh, girls and guys would come in, take orders. It was the best place ever, but su- three such different places. Yeah. Perth, there are places, Perth's beca- come a long way compared well, to. Well, it's growing. Well, Sarah, should have been here 20 years ago. <laughs> there, it was. Nothing. It, yeah. There was. <laughs> It was nothing. Yeah, they had. They, I, I grew up here, so I'm a bit biased, and I, I love, I love that time. Yeah, but all of a sudden, when I, I, I went to Sydney and spent my twenties, most of my twenties there, and I, I walked around going, oh my god, this, this city's huge, and coming from this place, it was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked that variety. I like knowing that there's things always on. But you could be sitting at home watching television if you wanted to, you know, yeah. that sort of thing.
1: You have your choices if you want to. And you wouldn't have to go out and search for it if you want, if you mm. if you needed to. Whereas here, I think you have to have something pre-planned or... Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, it's not always just going on.
0: Do you think that you will end up anywhere but the States?
1: That's a hard question. I know it's hard because things know. always change. It, uh, yeah, it always change. I mean... Um, so for me personally, like, uh, emotionally, like right now it's a hard question to ask because I haven't been home in a year and a half, so I extremely miss home. So yeah. I'm just like, no, I would just be home because yeah, <laughs> I miss them and my family. But, um, I mean, I, I love Perth. Perth is a gorgeous, gorgeous place and I love Australia. So I think I could see having, um, at least part of my life here. I just I don't know right now this time in my life um, and especially asking me right now. I just miss my family so much. So so just picturing myself forever leaving my family that I'm extremely close with um, and my friends in Michigan for good forever. um, I mean, yes, of course, I'd go back and visit, but like leaving in the sense that I'm not living there anymore. um, At this point right now, I don't see it realistically uh, just out of how I currently feel. Mm, Sure. How how big is Michigan? Um, I don't know, square footage, but I think our population, we'd have to fact check this, but I think our population is just as much as like Western Australia and the, the size, this was surprising to me too. Like, um, when I first started dating Tate, I didn't realize that the United States and Australia are relatively the same Same size. size. If you get rid of Alaska, Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So like Michigan... Uh, and we have
0: like 23 million people yeah. as a whole. Yeah. You guys have, what is it? 320, 350, 325? 325, uh, so 325, yeah. It's 325. Yeah, it's 325. Oh,
1: and you, well, you have how many? 22?
0: 20, about 23 to twenty-three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nuts, hey? It's crazy.
1: I am almost positive that Michigan has more people... Than Australia? Than Western Australia. Oh, okay. I know, like all of the state of Western Australia, which is huge, but... How many people do you know? How many people Western oh. Australia has?
0: Western Australia? I don't.
1: Well, I do know this. Sri Lanka, which is tiny, and I looked this up, uh, it had 22 million people in comparison of your guys's. Let me have a look. 20. Yeah, 24 million. So it was close in population based off of even that.
0: You wanted Western Australia?
1: Yes. <laughs> Two,
0: and Two and a half. <laughs> Two and a half million, Western <laughs> Australia. Oh my
1: gosh! Yeah, that's nice. That's so small. <laughs> I remember Population when it was in, a million. Yeah. Well, it, I would say probably like more like half of that is at least in Perth as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: For sure. For sure. Okay. Have you been to Europe?
1: I'm okay. So I've never been to Europe, which is crazy to me. Like I've been to quite You're a few young. places, but I but I also like um like. Oh, I really, really want to go to Europe, but I feel like Europe, for one, it's more expensive than places like Southeast Asia or Central America and whatever else. And then just getting done with, well, when I did just get done with college, it um, it just seemed like more of an expensive trip.
0: You would love it. though.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But I also think it's easier to travel. Like right now I'm so driven and like wanting to get to those hard to reach places and do those treks and to go on crazy hikes and do like, well, I mean, you can do plenty of hard hikes in Europe, but it's easier travel than some of the places that I want to go currently, I think. I mean, that's just my opinion.
0: So you were saying that you wanted to go trekking. Um, Trekking, yes. Any any countries in mind?
1: Oh, I would love to do... I've been putting um, India and Nepal on my back burner as well. Not as far back as like Europe, but because I want to spend a decent amount of time there. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So I would love to do like a a big, decent trekking trip, especially in Nepal. Uh, I would love to do that. And I think India, I'm so drawn to it because I've just never experienced anything like it. Like, Mm. Southeast Asia, you could probably relate some things to it, but I just keep hearing when I hear stories that India is a whole new world. <laughs> <What> <laughs> have about, you been?
0: Uh, not to India. Yeah. No, I'd like to, because I want to go there to do the story of the Mahabharata. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I know a guy, uh, actually, that's quite a well-known actor here. Yeah. Uh, he's acted in, what's that, uh, the Genghis Khan and Kublai Khan film? Mm. not Mongol, it was on Netflix and he's quite a well-known actor and I met him in the Emirates, uh, the the lounge Yeah. and uh, we were talking and he said that he's writing a book on the Marabata in India mm. and he said, oh, get me on the podcast, I'd love to talk about it mm. and I'm thinking, you know, because that podcasting is great because you get people on that know a lot more about what they do than you and you end up learning a lot so oh, yeah. because I thought, I'll end up doing some study on it, but why not get him on? And he could lead me to the right books and things like that to read. And I think it'd be pretty cool. But um, no, I've never been. And if I do go, I wouldn't mind knowing someone there.
1: Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> or someone that's at least travelled there.
0: That's travelled there, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've just, uh, I I will get there one day, but it, I've still got so many other countries I'd like to go visit. Yeah.
1: What's at the top of your list?
0: Well, we're trying to do most of Europe and the Middle East. So, for instance, uh, the next ancient culture I I love is Rome. So I want to go. I'm going to Rome actually. I'm spending New Year's Eve there.
1: Yeah, you just bought your ticket, didn't you? Yeah. Um, Awesome.
0: And then we're actually going back to Greece to see some of the places that we didn't get to before. Yeah. And we're really upset we had to leave. So Mm. we're going back there. But I've been invited back to Egypt in March. Um, by a tour company. So I I was messaging him back and forth yesterday Mm. and he said, look, whatever you do, just leave March for me, please. (laughs) So he wants me to go back there and do some uh, filming for him and he's going to take me on some stuff that I didn't get to before. Um, But Egypt was an eye-opener. It was an eye-opener because it was spectacle. I'd never seen places like it. Uh, And I've travelled quite a bit too. I've never seen – and you got to keep reminding yourself on when these things were built. So, you know, you're seeing this, you're going, wow, that's huge. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it's like 3,000 years old. <laughs> it's bigger than <laughs> anything we saw in Greece. It's bigger than anything else we saw. And it's and extremely yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, no, um, I really want to go visit Iran mm. and Iraq. And I'd love to go because – Everybody that I know that has visited Iran has said it's one of their best countries they've been to. Wow. There's two American guys. Um, One of them turned around and said, you know, we were going for two weeks. We'd booked a hotel uh, for two weeks and we ended up staying in the hotel for two days because people were opening their homes to us and they wouldn't allow us to to spend the the night. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they said it was fantastic. So don't, you know, get caught up in the whole media game. Oh, yeah. Uh, because the people there are super nice. And I've got a student from Iraq who's mm. saying to me, Wayne, if ever you go, like, let me know and I'll go back with you. My family's there and I'll take you yeah, to places. Awesome. Plus they have real significance in history too. Mm. So, you know, you've got the Persian Empire and you've got ancient Babylon, which is Iraq. Mm. I'd like to go there. Uh, we want to go see Turkey um, and then move over Towards uh, Jordan yeah. and places like that. So. I've been
1: to Istanbul. I haven't oh, have you? yeah, I didn't get to see the rest of Turkey, but I've been to well, Istanbul for,
0: Turkey is yeah. Asia and Europe. You yeah, know? well I
1: know, okay. So technically yeah. I've been to Europe, but I don't count. <laughs> I mean you can we look went over there. Yeah, we it's went a... over we went and did the walk over the Bosphorus Bridge. So technically you could be like I stepped foot <laughs> but yeah, at the yeah. same time, yeah. How long were you there? Uh just a week. Yeah, just a week in that was my first big international trip. Uh well, okay, so keep saying that I feel like, but Southeast Asia was my first longer one and then Turkey was my first one besides Mexico and Canada. So oh, okay. so yeah, I just went for a week. It was just during my spring break. And t- I did to I, Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my once again, my best friend, she's the one that really truly in, inspired me to do some right. some traveling and get me more out of the u.s um yeah she was she was over there in between leaving a job in ethiopia that she was she was um doing like during college um yeah and then so i met her over in turkey istanbul and my family was so scared because they had like this more like um yeah um they were just they were just uh, afraid of the unknown at the time and I think more and more that I traveled like my family and friends have like opened their their minds up to the idea of you know what this world can bring and that you shouldn't be just as scared like you said the media like don't get wrapped up in media mm-hmm. games and at the time there was some protest going on in Istanbul so my my parents were afraid of that um, and I, I think being aware of what areas to avoid or what I areas so. aren't safe is, is the best way to do it. But it was just a small little area that are doing protests. And I was like, okay, I just won't go to that area. Promise them I wouldn't. Um, and I didn't, but I ended up hearing more of like the inside story instead of the media story when I was there. Mm. And it was really just, um, you know, people in their 20s protesting against the government. It wasn't all, all of what the media was making it out to be. Um, yeah, I mean, there was some... We ended up getting a little bit of um the replication like in the area that we were, we got a little bit of the tear gas, but that was just some trying to break up the crowd and sure. That can happen anywhere. So It does. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I
0: and, think people went when we got back from Egypt, yeah. the first question we got is, is it safe? Right. And there were there were places we were going to on our own, just eleven o'clock aware. at night and twelve you've got to be aware as a tourist. But I don't know. There was just something uh, like I. there were some places in New York that I felt worse. Mm. There's some places in Australia I felt worse. Right. Exactly. So no, I'm walking definitely. around these and, and the streets were busy. Everyone's having tea. There's no alcohol. We've got to remember. Yeah. So already you can eliminate like the alcoholic violence that comes with it sometimes. Yeah. But no, we felt really safe. So. It really depends. And yeah, I'm not saying there's no violence that happens there. Of course there is. Um, mm-hmm. But like anywhere else in the world.
1: Right. It's just, it's like knowing what areas to avoid when you go to Detroit. It's like knowing yeah. not to go super late on the south side of Chicago. It's it's all the same within your, your own country. It's just being aware and smart. And then especially when you're, you're a traveler in an area that you might not be as familiar with, just doing your research and being smart. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had any close calls?
1: I have yeah. yes um it was actually in April um I did my trip to Sri Lanka I was I was leaving here um and I was doing Sri Lanka Burma and Thailand I was meeting up with my husband and his grandparents in Thai in, uh, in Burma and then we were Continuing on to Thailand, but yeah, I was in Sri Lanka when the the attack, the Sun, Easter Sunday attacks happened. Mm. Um, and I was actually in the, so the attacks mainly happened on um, in Nagumbo, Colombo, and then some other um, smaller towns that were more like east coast. By that time, I was already down more like south um, and southwest coast, and um, yeah, it was very it was very surreal, but. Even, even being a, like, um, I did my research, you, you know, know what areas to avoid. You can't, you, can't. you never know <clears throat> when, um, something like that no, could happen and it can happen anywhere. It can happen. Well, can you imagine New Zealand? It has happened. Can you imagine like, people are Plenty are like, of oh, places. we just want
0: to go to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they're there and suddenly, you know, there's this terrorist attack. You don't yeah, know. You don't know. Mm. You really
1: don't. And yeah, it was very, it was very, um, surreal and eye opening. Um. I was very lucky because, yeah, the, the areas that were attacked were uh, I just left them um, five days prior. Mm. So um, although I was, like, miles away, there was um, a bigger t- town called Matra that we, I was driving through. And actually, my husband, Tate, he was the one that called me and really I, – I noticed there was something going on in Matra. There was more police officers and there was a lot more commotion, but nothing, like, hysterical or – uh, completely out of the norm. It just seemed like maybe this is a big populated city. So there's more place around. Mm. And I was taking my tuk-tuk from one location to the next. I was going to Hirakitira, like a small little beach town. And I was just, I was just stopping by there before I went to Ella. Um, so at, on my way there, Tate called me and was like, are you okay? And, um, you know, in a, in a fluster, I'm like, yeah, I'm f- I'm fine. Um, you know, what's going on? And he was the one that first informed me. He's like, just get to your next location. And, turn on the news and then at that point um like all the um wi-fi was blocked so i couldn't contact him or my family uh, after okay. that for yeah. a little while um but yeah i just went to hear and i was i was meeting up with a group of people that i met the night before and, and just yeah lay low and relaxed from there and and yeah i just decided to change up my plans a little bit just to do a little bit less traveling until things settled down and when we we stayed in Hiri for, I met up with this other girl at, at, at the hostel at the time. Her name was Ketty. And um, me and her just decided, you know, there was a lot of emotional roller coaster. I'm not going to lie. There, there was, you were scared at one point. Then I was focusing on, you know, letting my family to know I was safe because I mm. didn't want them to worry. Um, then it was, um, you know, just the questions that you obviously asked, like why this is uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Sri Lanka is one of the most, beautiful. I would say it was my favorite country that I've been to, uh, out of beauty, out of like best food I've ever had out of the best treks. It was just a beautiful, gorgeous place. And the people, the people, mm. especially the people, like the people were just so welcoming, happy, smiling, generous, always waving, mm. always very like, um, uh, alert and just always trying to you know, wonder where you're from and who you're, who, what you, what, you know, what you're from and what you're doing and just curious Mm. and, and just beautiful people. And so you go through those questions of like, how can this happen to such a beautiful, beautiful place? But like we said, it can happen anywhere, but it's just that, that why factor. And then I went through a phase of, you know, I'm not gonna let this, I'm not gonna let uh, this terrorist attack and the people behind it um, change like uh, my they changed it a little bit but not completely make me just run away and fly out and, no. and not do this experience and do this trip that I, I want to continue to do you know so I when I, I mean, we were smarter because we did more private instead of public transportation and we I paired up with people instead of just doing it by myself um, uh, but we still like decided to um, I think you have to you have to because otherwise do you know if
0: you had run and come home yeah. That would be part it's of like you. Huh?
1: <laughs> it's like them winning like yeah. that was their whole point. yeah, besides causing chaos and and
0: but you'd you'd always carry that fear, I think. yeah. like if something else happened in another mm. country. yeah. it's like if you fall off a bike, yeah, if you don't get back on. Yeah. It's very hard to after that mm. if you don't get back on, you know. Yeah, uh, It's so easy. It's so easy though. Like it's weird. I've had friends. I had a friend that was a block away from Charlie Hebdo in France when mm. that went down. And she was watching things on the news and then she was having a beautiful meal and, and her friends from Australia were calling and saying, is everything okay? And she was like, yeah, everything's fine. And then she watches the news and then she thought, actually, this is a little bit bigger than we think it was. Yeah. Um, I think we should go home and... Uh, but it happens everywhere. Yeah. And I think, like you said, you don't want to be that type of person that just stays indoors because of fear all mm. the time. I think that's that's a horrible, horrible existence, you know. Yeah. But I've heard, I grew up with Sri Lankans. Some yeah. of my best friends are. And they've always wanted to go. Uh, one of them just went back, I think, two years ago for the first time. Mm. And the other one wants to take his kids. So
1: It's such a gorgeous country. Mm. Well, it I was is. looking at some of
0: your photos before yes. you came on. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's yeah, it so really beautiful.
1: nice. Yeah. And honestly, the people make the place. So the they people do, are so they? kind and welcoming. Yeah. And I think, too, like instead of um, like running and just flying home and then having that carried with you forever, like me and Catsy made a conscious decision. OK, we're going to be smart, but mm-hmm. we're going to still do our trip. And then also along the way, like anyone or anything that we see fit and we're able to do, we'll try and help. So like. Even when we left Hiri to go to Ella, our next destination, we waited in Hiri about four or five days, and then we, we continued on. Um, but the the private um, taxi driver, um, he he was actually in Colombo when the, the attack happened. He was picking up people, and he ended up seeing um, smoke coming from a building, and he thought it was just a fire. So he went to go and check it out and try to see what was going on, and... Um, he ended up seeing the, the chaos and ended up instead of running away out of fear, he ended up helping in, in whatever mm. way he could. And he opened his doors and helped as many people as he could fit into his van and drove him to the hospital. That was, he was, it was a brand new van for him. That is how he creates his income. That's how he takes care of wow. his family, but he didn't even second guess it. Yeah. And he, and he ruined his van that, that day. And, 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 it just even reliving with him, like he, the way that, mean, Katsy could see to help him is just like talk with him and let him get it out because you could tell like it reliving it helped him. Um, but even reliving it with him was... Um, Where
0: well, you just sustained the tragedy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was very... He's just like,
0: he's trying to get away from it, but you're like, tell me, tell me more. No, he, no, no but he... <laughs> You're sustaining it there. No, we're like, let us help you and we want to know everything. <laughs> yeah. No, he really, yeah, I mean,
1: he he did really need to uh, <laughs> genuinely talk about <laughs> it, not just out of our interest. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and then we, I mean, the only way we could see if it, and it was only the short term effect, but give him extra money to try to help him fix sure. his van and then let him, let him talk about it as much as he wanted to. And, you know, just kind of be the, even though we are just, you know, random travelers trying to be that support system to him because it was only a couple of days ago and I'm sure he couldn't talk to his family about it. Um,
0: yeah. You never know what you're capable of until something like that happens. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. When you put in a place of, of seeing that. Even our last trip to Egypt, uh, we saw a father and son um, – their car was overturned. We're in the middle of the desert mm. and they went through the, w- the windscreen. Both of them went through the windscreen. They're on the ground. The father couldn't move. And we pulled over our car yes. and, you know, all the father could scream out was, is my son okay? Is my son okay? And there was just blood everywhere. You know, the top part of his head had opened up and he couldn't move. And then the desert ambulance, the Bedouin ambulance came and carried away the son and that was even worse. So when people were trying to look after the sun and clear the road for mm. the other cars that were coming b- past, um, I was there. And so I went up and I held his hand and he looked at me and I, I could tell, he, you know, he was looking at me. I'm not from around there. And I was just saying, you're going to be okay. He didn't understand. But just having someone there, I think, made a difference. You know? No, definitely. Because he couldn't see his son. His son had was getting carried away. Yeah. And it must be the worst thing. But you just don't know what you will do until you're in that circumstance. You know, like yeah. often I thought there's no way I could see blood. I'm not the best person when it comes to blood. Uh, and my family would laugh because mm-hmm. they know. Uh, I black out really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> If someone tells me a hunting story, I think it's my imagination. I'll just, I blacked out in the middle of a pizza store once. Because <laughs> my friend's telling me how he hunts deer or he was a hunter and how he, you know, cuts up the animal and, you know, preserves it. And I was really interested. It wasn't that I didn't want to hear. And uh, next minute I was on the floor (laughs) and they were trying to wake me up. (laughs) And it was just my imagination took over. So I thought I'll never be good with bodies and things like that. Mm. Um, But when it happened, it it was fine. I just know I needed to be there with the guy.
1: Yeah. You you go into a function mode. Um, I mean, all. that i've experienced that a couple times with work you because people is adrenaline it's i mean it might be part adrenaline but you just have to get you just know you have to do what you have to do and you just function you don't think about it i think it too is part of letting go that voice inside of your head the ego that is distracting or that might have made you black out even with the story with just the deer blood without experiencing Mm. it it's function mode it's being completely and ultimately present with the situation because you need to be for that person or for that situation, um, Mm. and not getting.
0: So it's happened to you in surgery in the theater.
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. You go into, you go into function mode where, um, you just do everything and anything. And, um, it, it was in emergency situations where you just function and do everything and anything that, um, you can do to help the situation to help the patient. Yeah. To get the best possible outcome. Um, at that point, there is no emotion or, um, you know, voice inside of your head telling you what you can and can't do. You just do it. And that comes with, I think that comes with us also with like the training and, and being prepared in those situations to know what you need to do as well. But you're so prepared that you don't even think about it. You just function and do sure. it. Yeah. So the
0: training is good then. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> yeah. It has to be. I mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Mm. You've got to be a special type of person, I think. Like you are. <laughs> I mean, not everybody can do that. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, uh, but like
1: you say, you don't know until you put in those situations.
0: Yeah, but, yeah. you know, we come home sometimes. We've had a hard... Not a, not a bad day, but a hard day. Yeah. And then you sit there and go, those people that are saving lives, it's not like... They can just crawl away mm. and just go, hey, I'm not going to deal with it today And if they're having a bad day, which often they would like yeah. what if you've come from a really bad home environment near the air and then someone that lives needs saving mm. you have to there must be a like a mode that you switch mm. into yeah like I've, I've got a few police officer friends and they say it's the same thing and uh, they said that when they're on the job, If a new person comes on, they find it very crass. So the jokes they actually tell each other, you know, often it's in really poor taste. But they turned around and said what they don't understand. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. So the crass jokes that we say to each other, Mm. you know, it's the way we cope. Right. With the situation. With that situation. Mm. We don't say those jokes anywhere else. Only among the people that understand it. Among those people, yeah. Um, I knew a photographer, a crime scene photographer, mm, yeah. and he was the same way. He, he had his own coping mechanism. So, you know, he would uh, do, I think, boudoir, you know, the, the, the um, what's it called? The photography, like lingerie photography. Oh, and okay, yeah. But he did it because he didn't want his craft, his creative craft he'd always wanted to do as a kid to be stained with, uh, you know, Pardon the pun, blood. Mm. Because every time he'd pick up a camera, it was to film a crime scene. So he had to change that. It was a mode he went into when doing that.
1: So it didn't just get associated yeah. with that type yeah, of his, work. Yeah, yeah, his passion, you know.
0: Yeah. But I think there's modes that you switch into. You know, Do you remember the worst, the most traumatic thing that you experienced?
1: In work? Yeah. Hmm.
0: Oh, I should say yeah. all the time, but what about the first time you experienced something that really affected you? Do you remember what that was?
1: All the time you're talking about or in work? In work. In work. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there are two that really stick out in my head. Um, yeah, and they were definitely ones that were emergency situations where you just had to function. Um, it was a, an, a, a case where the the patient was has been through a lot, um, and they needed a procedure that was to improve their quality of life, otherwise um, they weren't gonna live much longer. Mm. So I think that part of it, um, when stuff did go wrong, um, and then we, we had to end up giving a lot of, um, products, a lot of blood. Um, we had to get the defibrillator in. we had to call code. So people were all rushing in. Um, a lot of things happened in that situation. I, I do remember in, in, in great detail, all those, uh, that situation. And I think you just have to know, I think this is the other thing why you're, you're, you're functioning in high function mode. For one, you just have to do what you need to do to get done. And as well, like at the end of the day, you know, deep down inside, you did do everything that you could possibly sure. do to help that that patient. They ended up, I mean, they ended up not passing away right then and there. Um, we ended up getting them to be able to have okay stats and be able to go back up on the floor with their family. But um, a couple of days later, uh, the patient um did end up passing away. Um did pass yes, away. Did oh, end okay. up ha- having yeah, passing away. Mm. Um yeah, it's just I mean it is it's definitely a hard situation. There was that one case that really sticks out in my head. Um I think the only thing that ha- helps with that one is that, you know, how long would of this this patient have been living without this procedure done with a, you know, low quality yeah. of life as well. And uh, you know, they, you know, were weighing out the pros and cons in the, in the, in the situation and knew that this could, um, this could happen and to, you know, that they were going to do the best they can, but, um, ultimately it could just be the outcome that ended up coming out. It just stinks. You always, you always wish that it's the other one, you know, the pros and the cons, this could happen or this could happen. And when it goes wrong, it just, you have so much hope for this to actually work. And then when it doesn't, it's hard. But I think, I mean, the other one that is, was, um, the other cases that are hard, but also good is the organ procurements or what they used to be called as organ harvest. It's when uh, a patient has a traumatic, um, brain injury or, um, some other cause of having brain death, uh. And that's brain death of the brain and the, the brainstem as well. Because the stem the brain, you could have brain death, but also have activity in the brainstem, which would allow you to still have like um, some responsiveness. So it has to be brain death of both of them. Oh, okay. And then that's legally pronounced as the time of death. Once oh, okay. they announce brain death. Um, the stem in the brain. Yes. Yeah. So once it's pronounced brain death... Um, the The families allowed to help decide if they're going to do organ procurement, um, and those those cases are extremely rewarding but are extremely hard. And those mm. are another one of those functioning cases because you have people. So say it's a, p- a patient in our in our hospital that's having the organ procurement. You'll have surgeons from all around. Well, I was in the U.S. at the time, but all around the U.S. coming from dis- different hospitals to get organs from that patient to bring to their other patients to do oh, wow. transplants. So you have to help coordinate all those people. Um, and I mean, it's such a time sensitive thing, but it's, and it's also a very coordinating thing, but, uh, and you're, you're losing a life, but you're also helping that life gain uh, um, other um, help. Other people have longer, more um, quality of life. So it, it's a very touchy and hard thing. Hard procedure. Yeah, it's a difficult and It's definitely one when you're with your team, that's one you have to um, have some debriefing on.
0: Mm. So what I was going to ask you is, we've heard a bit about your profession. You, you're working in a theater of a hospital. Yeah. And the problems that happened, not problems, but the main differences were the technical terms of equipment. Am I mm, right? Yeah. But I'm always curious when I hear people in high stressful situations in jobs. And I always like to know, was there a breaking point? Was there ever with you where you sat then and and thought to yourself when you came home? You know what? (laughs) I don't know if I can keep doing this. Or did it make you stronger? And sort of, if I can get through that, then I can pretty much get through anything. Was there a time where you had second thoughts?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say, yeah, (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily say that it was a time that I would be like, no, I can't do this anymore because I genuinely do love my job. And, um, you know, that, you know, 98% of the time or 90% of the time I feel extremely fulfilled from it and I feel accomplished and I really, really do enjoy it. Um, during those hard times, you obviously do have like a, like during the time you don't have any emotion, you're just functioning. And then after sometimes you have to allow yourself to feel those emotions that you, mm. you perhaps would have been feeling, um, during, during it. If you weren't working through it, um, and just functioning, uh, I think it's extremely healthy during hard times and any, not traumatic, but, um, intense situations that you take the time to relive it. And, yeah, relive it and see how you feel and how you think. I think during those times, having good support system through work, which I've always had um, while I was in University of Michigan, I had extremely close colleagues that I was working with. Here, um, I was working agency, so I was bopping around from hospital to hospital, but I had mm-hmm. still my agency girlfriends that I could always go to and talk to. I think having that core system, to be able to relive it, talk through it, allows you to bounce back quickly from it. So I think more so than feeling like it was gonna defeat me and uh, you know, want me to give up and, and not, you know, throw in the towel and not do work anymore or my profession anymore. It it more so made me stronger, I would say. And I think it's because I had that good support system to sure. be able to work through it, you know.
0: Do you have in house counselors? Provider?
1: Oh, you yeah, they're they're definitely um, a lot of times the educators, um, provide that emotional support if they know there's a difficult case in the main, the main colleagues or the main nurses that were, and, and I mean, all, all statures, but this is the nurse educators that would be more focusing on the nurses. They would go in and check on the nurses, like, how are you doing? And if they think they need more talking they can either talk to them or they'll make sure that they're having the support system there is also like through hospitals there's therapists even just if you don't have that support system or don't feel comfortable talking to people at work about it or whatever they will suggest you to go to therapy um therapy just to be able to have someone to talk to and have an outlet with it yeah i think as long as you're uh, you're aware of you know how you're dealing with it it can make you stronger and you can continue on. Or at least that's what happened for me.
0: Has there been ever a time where you've come home Mm. and you've realized a lot of that pent up Mm. pressure that you've kept in is now being released at home Mm. to something that's totally irrelevant to what you're talking about or arguing Uh, about?
1: Yeah. I think that's a, yeah, an extreme natural human reaction I think more so when it's those really intense ones like those emergencies. Yeah. I get more tired like afterwards you just feel exhausted yeah, and, you just, you would, wouldn't you? and you'd have like hopefully it's the weekend or then you know or Jeez. you'd come home and maybe instead of you know making dinner and watching TV you just fall asleep for a lot longer than you normally would. you you feel more tired. Um at least that's how I reacted to it. Um if I'm it's more so if I'm stressed at work maybe um just feel like I'm taking on too many shifts or because agency can like pick and choose how many shifts yeah. you want So maybe I'm taking on too many shifts and I'm, I'm stressed um, in the sense of working too much and not having that balance. I think that's more th- of the time when I take it out on my partner in conversations or you lash out more when I'm not having that balance where the emergency ones, I don't think I take that out on anyone. I think I just more so f- like get exhausted Mm. And like sleep more. <laughs> <'Cause you hold laughs> after. It in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you, you know, you're almost on. You know, doing so many things so quickly, um, which takes a lot of energy as well.
0: Do you have a bad temper?
1: I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely can <laughs> have a temper. <laughs> I know, people listening to
0: this will be like. Yeah,
1: yeah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's definitely something, when I was a teenager, I definitely had a really bad temper, but it's definitely something I've worked on like since then, but, um, and and still do work on, is the lashing out or the bickerments so the fighting um, and communicating in a more appropriate way. But yeah, I think when you're stressed at work, that comes out more in me, like the, the temperament and the lashing out. Because it could yeah. be
0: unconscious too. Yeah. You know, you think you, you've walked oh, away from after. work. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens afterwards. Yes. And all of a sudden, after an argument, you think well, that was a bit extreme. You know what
1: I do do is, um, <laughs> do-do, <laughs> is when I get hangry. I get hangry. I have to like realize. Yeah. A lot, like, of, okay, a lot of people do. Oh, I, yeah, I definitely do. And you have to realize, okay, there's like internally I'm having like this pain like that's coming out. There's a lack of blood sugar.
0: <laughs> it's affecting me somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like
1: feed yourself, Sarah, take care of yourself.
0: <laughs> but yeah, some people do get yeah. they get hangry.
1: Yes. Yeah. And you're one of them. I'm one of them for sure. But I think being aware that you get hangry helps more so. <laughs> it took a little while for me to realize that I get hangry, but yeah, Tate pointed that out, it was like, uh, I know what you need food. I'm like, oh i need <laughs> yeah and i'm like yep i definitely have a hanger problem
0: <laughs> I, i've never seen uh tate uh in a bad i mean yeah i've seen him in I've, he's he's been moody mm. but i've i can't imagine him with a bad temper
1: i think uh i think tate can have a temper definitely yeah, yeah. I, I
0: suppose cuz i don't i just see that sort of um Almost, um, it's, I
1: mean, it's rarely. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's. I mean, it, and it's more so. Once again, it's like just when stress and things build up. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a little bit on our plate right now regarding like um visas and I and different issues with like figuring out um our visa process just within the U.S. and Australia. Like um things seems so much more simplistic in the beginning. Um and and easier but then when you get to the logistics of it of figuring out the red tape and 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 the visa process i mean that adds a lot of stress onto your case and then along with just natural um life stressors i think with me and tate when we let those things build up that's when you see those little outbursts um instead of addressing them and figuring them out and being Mm -hmm. proactive about them it's when you you know pretend like everything's fine and when you're not addressing that oh no there's like some serious things that we need to really figure out and have plans for and work towards and feel like hope towards. Um, But when we have them underlining underneath us, yeah, we definitely have those outbursts. That must Mm -hmm.
0: be hard when you are in love with someone, but yet you've got these external forces, you know, that you've got to bust through just to be together. Yeah. And that must be incredibly frustrating. It's
1: so crazy too because it's external forces and we're trying to be together. But then it also like creates sometimes like conflict within a relationship. We're like, well, we're trying to reach the same goal and we're like, yeah. we're getting all upset and we're getting upset at each other. But really it's the external forces. Uh, it is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But we have to remind it's more ourselves. It's frustration.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes. That yeah. must be hard. Mm. And, and is it harder to come into Australia or to migrate into America?
1: It is easier to come in Australia for, um, like, temporary, like, working holiday visas. Like, we don't have that option, really, per se, unless you have a degree, and then you can go over, or if there's a career that is in need, and they can prove that that career is in need.
0: Over in the States? In the States, yeah.
1: They do have, like, working holiday, or, sorry, working visas, but they're, in my personal opinion, or... Yeah, in my personal opinion, they're harder to get um, just based off of the criteria that you have to have in order to go and get one of those working visas. Over here, it it's easier to get the working holiday visa. Once you start to get the logistics of more long-term visas, they're both equally complex um, sure. in the sense of time frames, how long it takes, cost, um, how long you're allowed to be outside of the country, um, just different rules and regulations If you, yeah, I would say, honestly, like looking at both of them, because we've looked in both of them uh, in the logistics of both of them pretty in depth. uh, They're both equally difficult. If you were just to, we're both travelers and we both love our family a lot so that makes it it, it more makes difficult, it way more difficult. more difficult it makes it way no it does <laughs> it'd be all right
0: if one of you just couldn't stand your <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: family It's <laughs> like it's fine i'm leaving them forever <laughs> yeah. yeah no because because we want to be able to um spend time in australia and spend time in the u.s it's it's easier if you just go and like i'm gonna live in australia i'm gonna come over here for two years work on my pr get it live here forever and stay here forever But it's when it gets down to the logistics of trying to get visas where you can have one even just as your permanent home and then be able to travel other things. Because there's a lot of times when you're getting permanent residence in either one of the countries, there's a a big chunk of time that you either can't leave or they won't let you in until it's approved, depending on where you apply for. For For instance, if you apply outside of Australia for permanent residency, you can't be inside Australia when it's approved. And if you approve really? for permit uh, yeah. And if you apply for permanent residency within Australia, you can't be outside when it's approved. You have to be in Australia. Gosh. If I make it. so, it's just like time sensitive things. And because we're like, oh well, you know, I do want to go and see my family within that 18 months that it takes to get the the permanent um, residency within Australia. Um, I mean, there's ways around it because you can apply for um, travel visas, but those last only three months. Um, yeah, so it's it's. It's all time sensitive and confusing to figure out. And then you also think you've done all this research and you think how much time it's going to last, but then there's big delays that, you know, make your, your, Mm. your time and your plans change up some.
0: Was your family a little worried at the beginning thinking we're going to lose our daughter to Australia? Those damn Australians are going to kidnap our daughter. Was there ever a time or they were just, you know, it'd be natural as a parent. But when you first come back and go, hey, mom, dad, you know, I've met someone, he's yeah. Australian. <laughs> yeah. you know?
1: Well, picture that your your daughter just graduated college and she, especially being an American family, she's going on this three month backpacking trip, which a lot of people in the US, I mean, more and more people in the US are starting to travel. But at the time it was like more like taboo, like, what do you mm. mean you want to leave the States or you want to go that far for that long? Um, so they, you know, were a little worried for me, but supportive for me to do that trip. And then coming back and be like, well, I actually met a man and he's coming over Yeah. and he's going to, you know, come and be He's with a recovering heroin addict, <laughs> but he's okay. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Tate's not a
0: recovering addict to anyone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or is he? <laughs> <laughs> or is he? Yeah, that for any parent no, he's gonna love this. <laughs> yeah,
0: for anyone that would be like, oh Scare? my god.
1: Yeah, I and mean, so they, I mean, obviously well, when he first originally for, came over, same for Tate's family. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. was here. It was here. Yeah. However, yeah, I was here. No,
0: no, no. I didn't. I always uh,
1: felt very welcomed, but maybe behind closed doors. I mean, any oh, family is gonna wars, be like Sarah. Oh. No. <laughs> No, no, no,
0: no, no, it wasn't like, it wasn't that at all. Yeah. I was going to make another joke, but I can't just keep making jokes. <laughs> no, Because people know don't know, series, I, know yeah. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. And it's so hard for me not to make a joke. No, no, we just, we knew that, uh, you know, it was a great thing Tate went away and travelled. Yeah. And, and he became a different guy. I remember saying to Tate at one stage, you know, uh, I can't remember the last time I've seen you smile and laugh. Mm. And, you know, it's circumstances worked out where I think he had to go. And I was saying to him, he said, Wayne, I'm going to go traveling. I said, great, mm. go do it. You know, get yourself away from this situation. And one month would go past and nothing. And then another month would go, and another month would go. And one, t- and I kept reminding him, yeah. Saying, look, you're going to go traveling. And one day I think he he got a bit upset at me and he said, well, what if I don't? Mm. What if I don't? What if I just stay here? And I said, it's okay, but, you know, just you, you'll you love it when you go. Yeah. So when he did go, I was I was happy. And he became a different man because of it mm. in a good way. You know, he became more relaxed. Uh, he was smiling more. And I think uh, it's that perspective. You know, you take yourself out of that world which was this world, and then he went traveling and it gave him that perspective of, you know, that things can work out okay mm. and sometimes in a better situation than it was before. Yeah. So I think it was good.
1: No, I think, I mean, he even says all the time how he has a different appreciation even for home. Like, yeah, um,
0: when, he, when you're away from it. Yeah, mm. yeah,
1: and then, yeah, the pros and the cons of where he grew up and an appreciation of, uh, like, how beautiful Australian Perth is and what what it has to offer, mm. that he wasn't putting the perspective in a positive aspect beforehand. So, going and traveling and realizing that. Yeah.
0: And that's why travel is so important that yeah. we used to talk about before. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm. Uh, and then you get some really proud nations. Like Vietnam was one of the proudest nations I've ever been to. Yeah. Uh, even Egypt. Like our, you know, our guide's an Egyptologist and he loved, loved his history. Uh, he would talk to us about his history with a sense of pride, you know, his chin would always be up and because it came from a 3,000-year-old empire, you know, one of the longest empires ever and, and it's great to see. He's travelled as well. So he went away to Europe and then he came back to Egypt with an appreciation Because when you're stuck in there all the time, you can't see the wood from the trees. And then after a while, you only start to see the dead wood. Mm. (laughs) And you start to sit there and go, God, there's so much poverty here. There's so much, you know, you start to see all the negative sides. But all of a sudden moving away and then coming back, there was a love for his own country. and And I think when he sees tourists coming there and experiencing that sense of awe that we did. Yeah. And then thanking him at the end, it sort of gave him an appreciation too. And I think it's wherever you live, it's when you go away, you come back, and you think, oh, this little place we called home for yeah. so many years, uh, that we could, we didn't know anything before, and would always complain. You know, it is beautiful. There yeah. there's beautiful parts about it, and I think uh, that. That's what it does for a lot of people that goes away. But yeah, I do know that I think because uh, I know Tate's mum, everyone that's listening. And I do know she was very, she's, they're always worried that their their son's going to be immigrating oh, okay. somewhere and yeah. just like your parents would too. So yep. it must be a hard thing. That, it is. Yeah.
1: But I think too, like um, my parents definitely worried about it um, quite a bit, but I think they realized they needed for their own happiness to stop worrying about it because it was completely out of their hands and control. And once they did that, like they, I mean, at first I did have a lot of, um, drawback with even like going over and moving over here, um, that they, I mean, they, they supported me for me moving over here, but they were worried that I'd go and move over here forever. But I mean, my mom was the first one to suggest when we had the first delay with Tate's green card, um, you know what other visa can you get in Australia so you guys can be together? Like, once mm. she started to to stop um, focusing on worrying about losing me, um, she started. She was always supportive, but she became even more supportive. Yeah, like I didn't. I didn't feel that underlining like pain of um, what she's going through as well. You know, I think it, that's a hard thing. I though. think it
0: makes a difference as well because she ended up meeting Tate.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think they once once him. they yes. meet the partner. Because yes. you never know who yeah.
0: your daughter's gonna bring home right. from overseas that she was on a three month backpacking trip in Southeast Asia. Yeah. <laughs> you think about it. But I think, you know, she's they're put at ease, your dad, you know, your mother your father and mother are put at ease once they meet the yeah. partner. Well
1: they thought they thought he was just coming over to steal my money and, and like underlining <laughs> like they have, I'm like both of us are like, What money? Like I meant <laughs>
0: yeah it's <laughs> just yeah, yeah. funny and yeah. they're like
1: oh yeah right well we don't know yet we just need to learn course, them you know yeah. and they were just like worried but i'm like mom like and then once they saw us together they obviously like understood so mm. she was just like scared and stuff but it's cute now looking back on it because <laughs> they have such a good relationship it makes it easier
0: mm. god can you imagine being a parent yeah I think it would be so hard. (laughs) Like I'm not. You know, people say it's hard to be a kid, but it's hard to be a parent. Yeah. You really don't know. Because once they're out of your house, they're out of your control. Mm. Even when they're in school, it really depends on the friends they meet. That really shape them into the adult they're going to become. I mean, friends have a massive influence on your character. Yeah. Your life could go one way or the other. It'd be really hard. It'd be really hard. I couldn't imagine having a daughter. (laughs) Me neither. Oh.
1: I hope I don't have a
0: daughter. Geez. <laughs> so, so I was going to ask you because you, is there anything else that you enjoy, Sarah, that you could foresee yourself doing down the track?
1: Um, well, one thing, I mean, it's related to what I'm already doing. I would love to volunteer more. Mm. Like, I've done a couple. Good volunteer projects, but nothing with longevity that I'd really like to see, like either working within a nonprofit or working with an organization that I could return back to and and, and continue to give back and to see the growth and to build more long lasting relationships to see that long term effect. Uh, the little um, one week at a time projects that I have done. It's it's when I feel the most fulfilled like yeah. it is, but you can't obviously this conti- you can't like I can't truthfully right now just continue to volunteer all the time. But I would love to get to the point where I could either um, build a longevity with an organization so I could return back to it.
0: That would mm. be my dream. Well, it's also taking the skills you've got. Yes, I know. Well There's that was reason, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean that was a huge part of why I you know, continued on and went into nursing is to be able to travel with it and and now I can internationally not only go to different cultures and different places and learn from them, I feel like I could volunteer and give back my skills, not just take from them, but be able to volunteer and give back my skills to have this more uh, mutual, respected, beneficial relationship. So sometimes when you're going and experiencing and traveling at different cultures, I almost feel um, intrusive. Like what is Mm. my footprint here really doing for the community? Is it just out of my benefit? And sometimes I have that guilt with that. So I think if I was able to do that with nursing and be able to give back that with my skills, I think that would fill that gap for me.
0: I think there's always (laughs) places for volunteering Mm. that would be great. And like you said, you don't have to do it all the time. Yeah. But, you know, once a year, once every two Mm. years. Yeah. Uh, Something I was really curious in because I don't know anyone else in the medical industry. Yes. How has technology changed Mm. your industry in the past five years? Well, I can't say 10 years. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know because I haven't been doing it <laughs> yeah, for that yeah, long, yeah. so five years.
0: Have you noticed any big changes?
1: Um, I mean, big changes, we did have like the big change from, in, in the States we have all electronic-based um, medical information. So everything, all the documentation, at least within my hospital, I'm sure there's some hospitals mm-hmm. that are still like paper-based, but um, was all done on the computer. And that was a recent change when I got hired in there. Um, so see, to see that progression to it, um, and the and the ease that it does come with with those electronic based uh, documents. And then in in Australia, I know they some companies do have the electronic base, but a, a lot of companies still have the the paper documents, but you guys are making the progress and the motion more towards to um, electronic base um, sure. documentation. And with with that, just like I think it takes, I think well for one, um, it's it's more unified, and a lot of times if you use the same um, if you use the same programs, mm. um, for lack of a better term, but if you use the same programs, then it's a lot of gaps in how stuff should be filled out, or you know how do you write this, or even just misreading someone's handwriting can can be improved. Mm. Um, it's hard making big changes like that though because it is such a big change, like yeah. to go from one way and knowing the documentation, because like once you have something that's working, why fix it? Mm. Um, or, you know, it's not broken, so why fix it? Uh, so to make that change into more electronic, it's it's difficult, especially I think with your guys' public versus private, it, it's hard yeah. to combine the two in order <clears throat> to do that.
0: What about, uh, do you think your job will eventually be automated? Oh. Like automation. <laughs> yeah. Because I have heard, uh, there's surgeons yes, that are doing remote surgery using oh, look, like, robotic arms. Um, robotics, yeah. I mean, that's but happening they're...
1: now. That's happening now with cases. Um, so I, we've had this data. I think it will continue to increase and there will be more and more surgeries with robotics. Um, when it comes to nursing and patient care, me, my personal preference, which um, me and Tate disagree about this issue, but I think when it comes to nursing and health care, there's a really important aspect when it comes to person-to-person care, that that human reaction, that compassion, that care that um, you can't get from robotics. So I don't think, like, we'll have the debate, like, um, about will robots take over all the nursing and healthcare jobs, like, or what jobs will be, you know, distinct or and, mm. and no longer exist with, with robotics and, and AI. Um for me personally, I mean, I'm biased because it's my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think that that caring, compassion, um, that energy that even like even in school, you you do therapeutic, you learn therapeutic touch, and in the sense of comforting people sure. and and um, a, a effective communication, all those skills are very embedded in nursing care, and I mm. do think that is a very important part of the healing process for mm. for humans. The environment that you're providing, and I don't think that can be, um, I don't think that can be executed with just robotics.
0: Well, I'll <laughs> fin- I mean, my thought is I think yeah. you're both right. I think uh, humans and robotics will be yeah. symbiotic. I yeah, think, think the human will be. I mean, we're already half robot now when we take our phones around. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. cyborg really. Right. I think it will be half and half. Mm. Agreed. I think you'll have the precision of a robot, but mm. the empathy of a human, I think that would be the best of both. Yeah, you know? definitely. So, Sarah, you're leaving when again? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yep. Um, so, if you ever come back to Perth yeah. in Australia, we'll have to do a follow-up uh, podcast to see how things have changed. Yeah. Uh, well, you're a married woman now, aren't you? I am. <laughs> I know. I know. Did that really quickly? Did that change you at all? Um, did that solidify and settle things down a little bit?
1: And in, in the sense of our relationship, I mean, I think marriage so is a person. Yeah. Oh, as a person, yeah, settled. Ooh, Did settled. it settle things down? No, I think I still, <laughs> I still. I mean, like at the <laughs> at the time of getting married, I wanted to like travel and explore a lot and and um, do a lot with my career. I still feel like at the same at the same point. I think if anything is uh, settled our relationship. I mean, it's difficult being in in a long distance relationship sometimes, but like now we're married like there's no like even the engagement instead of just being in a boyfriend girlfriend situation settled that a little bit like okay this is going to be more long term i don't have to worry as much like you know things will work out and now we're married it's like okay things will figure out it'll work its way out so that's Mm -hmm. more settled um it's just figuring out how like we're going to make it work and make it um yeah all flow together um Mm. it's not you know if it's just how yeah you know and it'll happen yeah it'll happen yeah
0: Well, let's see how it all goes for you. I wish you all the best. And uh, when you come back, please come back. And we'll do a follow-up podcast. I'll definitely be back. Sounds good. Unless I'll have to bring this unit over to Michigan. (laughs) If you don't come (laughs) back. Hey, yes, please come to Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will be back. (laughs) Okay, cool. Nice to see you. All right, nice to see you. Bye.